You're drowned by my perfect fire, my perfect life. Donde esta? Where? Where are you? Welcome. Welcome. Is that what you just said? Oh, yeah, I said it. Donde esta? Where are you? Welcome. Dude, I am in Spain. I am in Via Franca de Bierzo at Albergue de Pedra. And, I'm... and it is awesome to talk to everybody. It's so good. I feel like we're like far away, like we're on a distant, like long distance telephone call for the... We... For the uh, yeah, we really are. I'm in Boulder, Colorado. We, uh, uh, we're the Lanky Guys, by the way. My name is Scott Powell. And I'm Father Peter Musser. What's up, dogs? This is the Word on the Hill. We uh, are recording from across the sea again, um, this time with really impressive uh, lack of technology. I'm <laughs> Father Peter has nothing but a cell phone, and um, I've got a whole lot of equipment surrounding me right now. So we've been trying to figure out how to do this. But I think it's going to work, so we apologize if the quality is a little less than usual. But Father Peter is on a trail somewhere, so I think you guys can put up with that for a week. Yeah, and if you can't, then, like, seriously, you have not been listening to the podcast. No, because and... we are committed to you guys. This is how committed we are to a podcast every stinking week that we're doing it, man. We're going for it. Father Peter's got his little cell phone on a trail across the sea, probably in the middle of the night there, and we're, yeah, going, it's get, we're going hard. It's, it's getting close. Well, you know what's funny is that this podcast mirrors a lot of the towns that we walk through. You know, like, Spain has a lot of, like destroyed architecture like you walk through and it's just like but it's like ancient stuff it's like a thousand year old barn that's like three quarters of the way um con- constructed it's like still present but like it's just funny so it kind of feels like that like today like the, the albergue we have is like there's like a gigantic rock in the side of the building like it's really it's like built into a rock it's it's actually really sweet wow. i'm totally digging it Nice. I kind of want I kind of want like half of my house to be a big gigantic rock, but I would make it like a rock wall, like you could like boulder in your house. I well, think that would be totally dope. You've got a sweet uh chapel that you built in your house which has a lot of rocks. That's true. It does rock pretty good. Yeah, so there's lots of lots of rock there. Well, dude, I've been walking the Camino and for those who don't know what the Camino is, the Camino de Santiago is a 1000-year-old pilgrimage that goes across all of Europe to the relics of St. James the Apostle. So, mm-hmm. St. James is the one that they say um Peter, James and John went up a high mountain. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it's it's that James and like it's just it's just totally awesome. People have like these massively open hearts and are walking for all sorts of amazing reasons and I just celebrated mass in a convent, a Claritian convent across the street from us and and like there's like a blessed that they're trying to promote and and like these holy sisters are like the best it was just it was just awesome but one one gal in the group they went up and they were like we will see you in one year like they like put the full court press on her and we're like <laughs> you will be you will be a sister here in one year's time and it was wow like, but every every single one of them without consulting each other told this gal that she was going to be in the convent i love that you called it a full court press <laughs> that was awesome <laughs> That was spectacular. Well done, dude. Hey man, that's that's how we roll when we're yeah. living in la, la la vida de España. Yeah, the life of Spain. The la vida de camino. <laughs> the life of the camino. The life of the way. Yeah, the life of the way. Oh man. Oh man. Oh man. Father Peter, we should get oh, into this, man. Dude, let's do this. Let's do this. What are we reading today? Because we- I, I mean. 
all the readings for me are in Spanish. I can't, I'm not allowed to read English this <laughs> week. So good. Well, I also I see who's going to be holding the brunt of the podcast this week. So we are looking at the the 16th Sunday in ordinary time, and our readings Which is are also Saint Apollinarius. In case uh, you're wondering, everybody loves Saint Apollinarius. Yeah. Do you know yeah, anything about Saint Apollinarius? Um, dude, like, um, I, you know what? I don't belong to him or Peter. I just, I just belong to Jesus. Oh, nice work. That's the wrong. See how I did that? Yeah. That's not the right guy though, that you're trying to quote. Oh, I know. I'm just totally full of it. I have absolutely no idea about (laughs) St. Apollinarius, but he's got a sweet name. That was a good reference though to, uh, Hey, Apollos. I'm quick on my feet. I learned how to do this by freestyle rapping when I was in my friend's car with lots of bass while skateboarding. You were like a cat. Wait, you were skateboarding in the car? Well, I mean, no, I mean, we would like put on bass and we'd go into like parking lots and skate. And then we would like pass the mic and be like, yo, what's up? Now it's time to rap. And I say, that's cool. I'm like a cat. I'm on my feet. You can flip me over, but I'm not done. <laughs> See how good a rap rapping it. Uh, I, I do. Am. I do. That was awesome. Yeah, All right. So, okay, our f- so our first reading is from the book of wisdom, chapter 12, verse 13 and verses 16 through 19. And then our responsorial psalm is Psalm 86. Verses 5 to 6, 9 to 10, 15 to 16, and the versicle comes from 5A. <laughs> Did you? <laughs> I'm just going to blow right past that. Um, all right, the versicle. <laughs> um, I think that's what it's called. No, it is, I'm sure. Actually, I, the, the V with the line through it is actually the character is called a versicle. It is oh, a typographical term. Really? The versicle? I'm going to Google that in just a minute. Okay. Dude, um, Google, Google away. Let me Google that for you. Friend. So the second reading is from Romans chapter 8, verses 26 through 27. And El Gospel de Mateo is from chapter 13, 24 to 43. It's a long form. Your, your particular parish may use the short form. And if you do, just gently request the long form in the future. Yeah, and then judge everyone. No, don't do that. Don't. <laughs> what no. are you doing? No, don't judge them. Bishops listen to us. Oh no! Gonna, they I, laughed. They had a hearty guffaw at that one. That was a funny joke. They did. Okay. <laughs> so now that we're done joking about judgment, um, <laughs> so here's the thing. This is one of those Sundays where uh, I have got a lot to say about the gospel reading. I usually have a lot to say about like the first reading and the background and kind of what's going on. But the, oh man, the gospel this week is so exciting to me because I love this passage. So take that. Dude, it's well, it's like uber parable moment. Like it, yep. I'm very excited about it. But um, yeah, I looked at like the, the, the first reading from Wisdom and, and it's a very wise reading. Yeah. Well, here's the but, thing about – oh, no, please. After you. I don't know what I, – <laughs> dude, I have no idea what to say about it. I just – other than – I believe in its wisdom. I believe in it. I believe in this. So, uh, you know, a crash course on the on the book of wisdom. We've talked about this before, called the Wisdom of Solomon. Um, ironically, uh, it's probably not Solomon's words, but a lot of uh, what's called the wisdom literature was either written by Solomon in reference to Solomon or in honor of Solomon because he had this. He was known for being be, having this gift of wisdom, right? So, this is probably not Solomon's writing. The book of wisdom was written. Um, around the same time as the Septuagint. So if you know the whole story, during the reign of the Greek Empire, so after the, uh, so you know, you have the kingdoms, the kingdom split, there was a civil war, they all got hauled off into exile. Eventually they were released from exile. We've talked about all this. And uh, during the reign of the Greek Empire, there was this part of the empire, this this um, 
um, kind of school of thought within the Greek Empire that uh, they wanted to gather all of the wisdom of the world and have it together in this giant library in Alexandria. You maybe you've heard of the Alexandrian Library. And so um, I heard that it burned to the ground. There was an arsonist. Yeah, dude, it was rough. But um, they, the Jewish people were invited, too, to come and translate their, their traditions and their texts into Greek and put it in this library. And so they sent 70 elders, uh, where the word Septuagint comes from, 70 elders to translate the Bible into, um, that's where we get the Greek version of the Bible, which was probably what Jesus was reading. It's definitely what he's quoting from. But there was also a number of other books that were composed while these Jewish people were up here, including wisdom. And I was thinking about that fact, and I thought it was interesting because... Um, you know, this is a remnant of Jewish people that are living when this is being written in a Hellenized world. So it's been taken over by the Greek Empire. There are some last vestiges and remnants of the Jewish way of life and the Jewish way of thinking and these traditions and our scriptures. But really the question um, for the Jewish people in that time is how do you how do you live in a world that's not Christian anymore, or in a world that's not Jewish anymore? How do you live in the midst of, a, of another kind of society, in a paganistic, secular society? We need wisdom to do that. So I think it's telling that they chose to put together these verses of wisdom, probably in honor of Solomon, because they lived in a time where it took great wisdom to kind of figure out, okay, how do you live out your faith? Add on to that, I mean, what were, what were the Greek people famous for? What was their big thing? What did the Greek people love more than anything else? Uh, a reason. I mean, philosophy. They give us philosophy. So what's the etymology of philosophy? The love of wisdom. The love of wisdom. So what do they love? They love wisdom. Philosophia, right? So in that context, in this kind of weird, cultural, confusing, oppressive milieu, um, they put together this book of wisdom because it was a time in history when we really needed wisdom. So that's a little bit of the background. And it's a great passage. You can, you can read it. You'll hear it on Sunday. There's no God besides you who have the care of all. The need that you show has not been unjustly condemned. So in other words, God is in charge, no matter what the world may look like. And I love this line. There was a line that stuck out to me earlier today when I was reading it. It says, For you show your might when the perfection of your power is disbelieved. You show your might when the perfection of your power is disbelieved. I think that's so uh, important for this passage because you got wisdom being written in the time when the world is incredibly confusing. Nobody knows what's going on. The idea of wisdom itself is confusing because the Greeks are saying philosophy. It's this idea of wisdom. The Jewish people are saying, wait a second, where is our nation at all? Has God abandoned us? How come there's this foreign nation kind of lording over us? Is God even with us anymore? And in that moment when the power of God is disbelieved, that's when his real might is going to be shown. That's when he's going to step in. And I think it's a really profound passage. I really, really love this. That actually, I think, is a good segue into the psalm. I should note to you guys that Father Peter is actually no longer with us. We lost uh, his connection uh, over in Spain. It's the middle of the night over there. Um, we will have a much... Um, we will be both back together next week, but unfortunately, we got to get this thing done, and so we lost him temporarily, but that's okay, because we're going to finish this up uh, on our own. Um, but that, that insight that wisdom gives us is a great insight. It's a great segue into the psalm, Psalm 86, which begins by saying, Lord, you are good and forgiving, and that says, Lord, uh, you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in kindness to all who call. Hearken, O Lord, to my prayer, and attend to the voice of my pleading. You're good and forgiving. And on and on. Now, Psalm 89, 86 um, is interesting because the fathers of the church and the saints all actually saw this psalm as pointing ahead toward Christ's passion, toward his suffering, his crucifixion, his death. 
Um, but despite that, so you have the Lord who's hanging in agony. There's no um, more profound a moment, I think, that the power of the Lord is disbelieved. This guy looks like he's done. He looks like he's lost. He's completely given up. He's, he's lost the fight. He couldn't have been God. He's not the Messiah. He's dying on a cross. But in that moment when the power of God is disbelieved, that's when his might is going to be brought to, to perfection because the Lord is good and forgiving. He's going to attend to our prayer, to the voice of our pleading. We picture Jesus hanging on the cross in agony. The Lord will attend to that. He will turn to that. We live in a really dark world. We live in a very confusing time. So did Jesus. His people were wondering, just like they were in the time that the wisdom of Solomon was being written, where is God? Why is the world so confusing? Why are there these foreign powers that are lording over us? Has God abandoned us? Has he forgotten about his people? That's precisely what it looked like when Jesus was hanging on the cross, when the psalm is evoked. And it's in that moment of seeming powerlessness, of confusion, of veiling, that the Lord's power is going to be, his might is going to be brought to perfection. And that actually leads us, I think, nicely into Romans chapter 8, which begins this way. It says, Brothers and sisters, the Spirit comes to the aid of our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes with inexpressible groanings, and the one who searches hearts knows that's the intention of the Spirit, because he intercedes for his holy ones according to God's will. It's a very short little passage, but it reminds us that we are weak. And despite our weakness, despite not knowing how to pray as we ought, the Spirit's going to come to us, even in those times that we do feel powerless, that we feel stripped, that we feel abandoned, that we feel confused, that we feel like our podcast mate has dropped off the face of the earth and we're stuck doing the podcast alone. In those times that the Holy Spirit is going to come to our aid, and he always does. Father Peter was actually telling me before we lost his side of the recording uh, about all these people that are doing the Camino with him, some of whom have faith, some of them who don't have faith. There's this one woman he met who's carrying the remains of her dead husband, and she understands that if she really does this and if she struggles through this, it's actually for the salvation of her husband. I don't know if that's theologically correct or not, but I have to hope and I have to believe that the Spirit's going to come to the aid of that weakness. We don't understand theology. We don't understand what it means to live in relationship with God. So we're going to do our best and we're going to hope that he's going to step in and he's going to guide us because he is a God who's good and forgiving, like the psalm says. And he's going to turn his face to us, to hearken to us, to our prayer and to the voice of our pleading. And that's what uh, Paul's letter to the Romans is reminding us of. The spirit is going to come in and do it when we fall short. That's an understanding that wisdom didn't have in the Old Testament. We couldn't fall back on anything. Now we understand we actually have the Holy Spirit. Now, all of that, I think, leads us into this passage in Matthew, which I totally love this passage in Matthew. And these psalms, or not these psalms, these parables are really, really important. So if you were with us last week, um, if you were listening to the podcast, in last week's gospel reading, Matthew 13, this is when Jesus begins to speak in parables. And if you remember what Father Peter and I were talking about, he begins to speak in parables only after this group of, of critics accuse him of working with and for Satan. He's in line with Beelzebul. And, you know, it's one thing to reject Jesus. It's one thing to ignore Jesus. It's a whole nother level when begin, you begin saying that he's actually working for Satan. And so it's at that moment that Jesus begins to speak in parables. Parables have this tremendous ability to conceal and reveal. To those who are on the inside, it can actually reveal more about what God's up to. To those who are on the outside, it conceals. It actually helps to keep things out. It veils. So Jesus is actually speaking cryptically. This isn't his normal teaching style, but he does it because he knows if he if he's 
uh, explicit about what he's doing and who he is, he's going to end up at the cross before he's ready, before it's the right time. So in that sort of uh, line of parables, we get another one. And it's Matthew 13, verse 14. Here's where it begins this week. It says, Jesus proposed another parable to the crowd, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be likened to a man who sowed good seed in his field. And while everyone was asleep, his enemy came, and he sowed weeds all throughout the wheat, and then he went off. When the crop grew and bore fruit, the weeds appeared as well. And so all the workers, the slaves of the householder, came to him and said, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? So how come we have all these weeds? And the the landowner realizes, yeah, an enemy has done this. And so the slaves say, well, should we go pull up all the weeds? And he says, no, because if you do that, you're actually going to uproot all of the good wheat as well. So let them grow up together. Let them just grow until harvest. And then at harvest time, we'll separate them. We'll collect the weeds. We'll tie them into bundles for birthing. And we'll gather the wheat and we'll have that in the barn. Now, it's, it's a really important parable. Um, It's interesting and there's great imagery about the church and there's good people and there's bad people and sometimes it's really hard to know the difference. It's actually a really profound insight into the church that we have God who is the, the, the planter, the gardener. He's planting seeds. He's building this church. He's building a people of God. And if you're in the people of God, if you're in the church, you know that there, it's hard to know who to trust sometimes. Is this guy right? Is that website correct? What about that book? Can I trust this who do I look to to know the truth? Who do I trust? Is the guy next to me in the pew, is he out to get me or not? It's hard to know. There's weeds and there's wheat, and it's hard to see the difference sometimes. But this parable is actually really profound because uh, this brings to life a, a real-life scenario that would have been going on in the first century. There were actually laws on the books in the Roman Empire that specifically forbade people to sabotage other people's crops by planting weeds. And the weed du jour, the weed of choice for sabotaging your neighbor's crops, was this weed called Darnell. It was a seed called Darnell, which um, Darnell is this, this, it's a poisonous plant that whose roots go crazy and they spread all over the place. So you literally can't pluck out this Darnell weed without pulling everything else up with it. And so if you, if you pull up the weeds, you're going to uproot all the, all the wheat as well. So this is actually very common. This is something that an enemy would do to sabotage someone's crops. In the veiled parables, Jesus is saying that, look, I'm building a kingdom here, and there the evil one is actually trying to sabotage this. And so I'm not going to step up. I'm not going to say to the Pharisees, hey, you guys are excommunicated on the spot. Or, you know, get out. You've accused me of doing these things. So, you know, I'm going to call you out. He's saying, no, 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 I'm going to let it be for now. Now, of course, the church has times when for reasons that things that we do to ourselves, people are excommunicated, they're removed, but they don't fall out of existence. They're still there. We still have to deal with them. We still have to live with them. But he, uh, you know, the apostles don't seem to know what Jesus is doing. And actually at the end of this passage that we'll read about today, um, Jesus leaves the crowds that he's with. He goes into somebody's house and his disciples ask him what, what the deal was with this parable. And what he basically says is that even though this kingdom is happening, it's, it's dawning in the world, it's being born in, it's growing up, the wicked and the faithful are going to coexist. And he says eventually the Son of Man is going to send his angels and he's going to uproot the weeds and all those who cause others to sin. And he's going to root them out. But until then, there's going to be people who cause us to sin. And we're going to have to kind of deal with that and live with that. Now, I think there's two reasons that in the parable, the, the master does this. Number one is what Jesus says. And he says, well, we can't root out all the bad stuff right now because it'll probably kill a bunch of the wheat too if we do that. But there's also another reason. There's a saint whose name is St. Isidore of Pelusium. 
St. Isidore of Pelusium, which I know is all of your favorite saint. You all have medals of St. Isidore of Pelusium around your neck. But he had a really interesting insight into this. And he basically what he said is, it's not just because it's going to destroy wheat, but he says part of the reason that God is allowing these weeds to grow up with the wheat and to give them time, if the weeds represent sinners, it's not just... Um, that is going to rip out some wheat as well. But God actually wants to give sinners as much time as possible to turn back, to repent, to change from being weeds, to actually see what the truth is. The psalm actually says God is slow to anger. He's slow to anger, which is a really beautiful thing. I was thinking about uh, Father Peter and I were talking about the the fact that, you know, in, in the Gospels, a little bit after this point in Matthew, he's going to show up in the temple and he's going to say the temple has become so corrupt and these religious leaders have so corrupted everything that I am going to destroy this temple. I'm going to level it to the ground. And do you know when he does that? Forty years later, which is strange because he gives this huge condemnation. He says this is going down and then 40 years later it actually happens, which tells me God wants to give so much time, ample time for us to turn back. He doesn't want to punish people. He doesn't want to send people off burning. He doesn't want to excommunicate. He wants people to come back because he loves us. It was the same thing in the time of Noah. Noah and the ark. It took Noah a really long time to build a really, really big boat, 120 years. And the reason that God did that is not just so Noah could build a really beautiful boat, but there could be a lot of time for people to realize the evil of their ways and turn back. That's the point. That's the point of God being slow to anger. And that's part of the reason, I think, why he's going to allow this wheat to grow up with the weeds and why we're stuck in the church with good people and bad people. And sometimes it's hard to know the difference because it's possible for people to change. Now, he gives another parable right after that, which you're probably all familiar with. Familiar with. It's the parable of the mustard seed. And the mustard seed actually grows on the first. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. The person took it and sowed to a field. It's the smallest of all the seeds. So in the previous parable, in the first one we read about, you have this enemy who is opposing God's kingdom. He's sowing d- discord. He's sowing poison. He's sowing harm to try to destroy God's crop, to try to destroy his kingdom. And despite that enemy's opposition to the kingdom, what Jesus is saying in the second parable is that the harvest is going to yield huge results. Even if this kingdom, even if these things that God is planting, if it looks pathetic, if it looks lousy and weak and scandalous and everything else, I mean, people look at our church and they don't necessarily see the big, glorious, glowing kingdom of God. They see a bunch of ragtag sinners who are kind of a mess and always bicker with each other and there's lots of scandal and people who don't seem to know how to love one another right? That's what people often see when they see the church. And that's what Jesus is going on in these parables. It might not look like much, but it's got the potential. It's going to, it's not just potential. It's going to grow into this massive plant. This little tiny mustard seed that you might write off. Is it going to grow up into the kind of plant in which he says, birds of the sky will come and dwell in its branches. That's how big it's going to be. And I blew Father Peter's mind earlier with this. Because Jesus doesn't just make up that line, the birds dwelling in its branches. He's quoting the Old Testament. And at least two times in the Old Testament, especially in Ezekiel and then in Daniel, Ezekiel says that Israel is going to become the kind of nation which is going to gather all the other nations like birds in the air who will come and sit on its branches. That's what kind of a kingdom God is building, which will bring shelter and healing and consolation and a place for home to all the nations. And that's what Jesus is getting at right here, which is really, really cool. Then he gives another, one more parable. And he says, um, the kingdom of, of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and he mixed with, she mixed with three measures of wheat flour until the whole batch was leavened. 
So this idea of leaven. So the third parable is, again, continuing on this theme of unimpressive beginnings, kind of things that don't look like much, but they hold great potential inside, great uh, dynamism inside. That's the thing about yeast. Yeast has this hidden dynamism where if you add it to something, it is going to blow the whole thing up. It's going to explode. It's going to make it huge because it's got that ability. That's what the kingdom of heaven is like. This church that God is building on earth. Again, it might not look like much, but it's got the power to change the world. Why is it going to change the world? Because like it says in wisdom, um, you show your might. He shows his might when the perfection of his power is disbelieved. If the world looks rough, if the church looks like it's always on a little bit of shaky ground, that's precisely what God is going to use to change the world and to bring souls to himself. One thing that's kind of interesting about this uh, yeast parable, it says that this woman had three measures of wheat flour, which um, if you translate that into the ancient world, that's about 60 pounds, which is a ton of wheat flour. It's enough to make bread for over 100 people. And Father Peter was mentioning that, you know, a little bit later on, we're going to have the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus is going to institute the Eucharist. I mean, what is this getting at? But on a much more practical level, I mean, why would somebody have... 60 pounds worth of flour. What would you be preparing for? Well, maybe you're preparing for a banquet or a wedding feast, which is how Jesus always describes his kingdom. It might not look like much, but hidden inside these humble beginnings in this humble shell is God's hidden dynamism, is God's might and power, which is being brought to perfection. And then Jesus goes on, well, Matthew actually says all these things Jesus spoke to the crowds in parables. He spoke only in parables to fulfill what had been said by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will announce what was laid hidden from the foundation of the world. Jesus is still slightly veiling what God is about to do. But for those of us who can have insight into this, with our hindsight and the tradition of the church and the people who have given us the scriptures, we can see that what Jesus is doing is not just, I mean, you could, you could be tempted to read through this story and think, well, okay, everyone's turned on Jesus. Now he's got to talk cryptically. Uh-oh, is this going to blow all of his plans? And Matthew wants you to know by quoting Psalm 78, he's showing, look, Jesus is fulfilling what the scriptures foretold from all time. These parables, this cryptic words is hiding the message of the gospel until the proper time, just like this mustard seed is hidden from view until the proper time. But when it grows up and when it sprouts its leaves and its branches, it can do unbelievable things and it will be a home for all the nations, for all the birds of the sky. That's what the church has within her. That's where we live. That is our life. So again, if the world looks like it's just kind of messy and the church is always on a little bit of shaky ground and you don't know quite which way is up, that's okay because it's God's field and God is allowing a little bit of confusion because he wants to give those who are confusing the time to turn back to him. But he also wants to remind us that, look, we actually all matter in this great schema. If we grow up with the weeds and we have to deal with these things that are around us. I hope, and I think agriculturally speaking, it would make the wheat stronger and hardier because it had to fight through those roots and it had to fight through those weeds and get the air and the sun and the water that it needed to survive. A lot of us live in a world where we kind of have to fight for our faith. And, you know, we might not be called to be physical martyrs, 
but we might live in situations where it's hard to share the faith with our families or our coworkers or our classmates or whatever else. And we have to kind of wrestle through those weeds and through those roots that are sometimes trying to choke us to get that sunlight and to get that water and that air that we need to thrive. And Jesus promises us that if we're faithful to that, then it's going to yield an abundance of fruit. It's going to change the world. Well, friends, uh, Really appreciate you being here. We're going to be back next week. Father Peter and I will be together for the entirety of the podcast next week. We'll figure out how to make it work. Father Peter's still in Spain. I'm still in Boulder. Um, we love you guys. Send us an email. Link you guys at thomascenter.org. Please find us on Facebook. Share it with your friends. Tell everybody you know about the podcast. Hopefully you enjoyed it. Um, have a wonderful Mass. Uh, God's blessings be upon you. And we will be back with you next week with a brand new episode of The Word on the Hill with the Lanky guys. So long. The Word on the Hill is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado, www.thomascenter.org. You can also send us an email at lankyguys at thomascenter.org. See you next week.